Hey, what is up, guys? This is John Nelson, and you're listening to the Starting Block Podcast. If you are looking for a show that is going to give you the insight into complete athletic development and give you the tools to win, whether you are the athlete, the parent, or the coach, then you have come to the right spot. I want to go ahead and introduce my co-host quickly, Chris Scarborough. How are you doing, What's sir? What's up? And Mandy. How's Hello. Mandy? Doing well. Now, if you are new to the show, um, then I'm not, uh, I, I want to say welcome, but I'm not going to give you like a whole rundown of everything. Go to one of the other episodes and, uh, and check out how we do it. I'm going to get right to the point today. Today is a guest interview, and we have a very special guest today. Very special guest, my mentor, and uh, somebody who we all have great respect for, and I can quite honestly say, without his guidance, ELP would not exist. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to present to you the founder of the NeuroTarget system, the owner of Pietola Chiropractic, Dr. J or Dr. John Pietola. Welcome, sir. Thank you so much for having yeah. me, guys. Hey, absolutely. Thanks for joining us, Appreciate Dr. Appreciate you coming J. on. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. My pleasure. Yeah, wouldn't for do sure. it for anybody else, just you guys. <laughs> ah, well, I appreciate it. Thanks. We have some jealous yes. people out there. So. Yeah. Um, so no, really, we do appreciate you coming on, and um, I know you you're, you got a busy schedule, and and I will honestly say in the beginning, like I, I know we've talked about that before, Doc, but I I want the public to know how much of an influence you've had on our career. I mean. The first day that I met you, actually the first night, I remember you actually threw one of my training books in our hotel room up against the wall, um, you know, and from that moment on, I was like, okay, I'm sold on this guy. Um, <laughs> you literally, you changed my life and we, you know, it really made a huge impact. And so thank you for everything you've done and let's, uh, let's talk some shop. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Well, so, uh, my, my whole, whole thing you know, I, I, I've been doing this, this is my 21st year now. So my whole thing has been all about teaching and getting other people on board. You know, like Garrett, he was, a, he was another student. His whole premise is based off of the NeuroTarget system. And mm-hmm. there's so many other clinics all over the world that it's all because of this teaching, you know. So it's not, it's not that I'm trying to promote myself, but it's, you know, I'm, I just want to support other people. So that's where I'm coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I hear you. And I know you've, you know, you trained me and a couple other docs that I'm familiar with. You know, I know Dr. Uh, didn't you work with, you worked with Dr. Rob, right? Up in, yeah, up Dr. North. Rob Lucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dr. Rob. Um, I've talked to him quite a few times and uh, some of the other ones across kind of our network and industry. And uh, so, you know, for those who don't know, Doc, why don't you sh- share kind of your, your premise, your, your philosophy about how all this works and kind of how you differ from your traditional, you know, chiropractic and, you know, therapy type of approach. How does sure. NeuroTarget and Dr. J differ? There's, there's, uh, there's a lot of different ways to explain it, kind of depending on what, where you're coming from. So I can, I can try a couple different ways. But the main, the first one, the one that I used to use, the old one, really talked about force absorption. And so whenever you do an activity, whether it's run or jump or hit, force is entering into your body. Your muscles have to absorb that force. If they do that, you can do that activity with no trouble at all. If force enters your body and your muscle is unable to absorb it, that force will transfer past the muscle. And wherever that force ends up, whether it's a tendon, a ligament, a bone, a disc, that's the tissue that you injure. So really in that 
sense, all injuries become exactly the same because it was this loss of force absorption that resulted in the injury. So the neurotarget system is really not about diagnosing what you hurt, but diagnosing why you hurt that issue. And it's in almost every single injury, whether you're doing the dishes or you fall off of a cliff, this loss of force absorption. So that's what we're going to look at. And when, when you look at force absorption, people typically think about how strong they are. And that's, that is one of the aspects of force absorption. But if you have a certain level of strength and you have more force entering your body than that strength, you're going to get hurt. And that's because you weren't strong enough. And those types of injuries are pretty traumatic. You know, you know what happened. It's a car accident. It's a fall off your house or something like that. Those aren't the types of injuries we really want to focus on with the neurotarget system. Because most people that come in here, they just went out for a jog and now their knee's hurting, right? Or they're trying to do bench press and now their shoulder hurts. Or they just twisted and they threw their back out. Those aren't excessive types of force entering your body. You were strong enough to absorb that force, but you couldn't. So this is the type of breakdown we're looking for. And what happens is when force enters your body, your, your receptors sense that force and they feed forward information into your brain, telling your brain how force is coming into your body. And I kind of think of that as like if I'm going to throw you a ball, I say, hey, John, catch this ball. And when I throw it to you, you catch it because you know that it's coming. The brain takes that information and activates whatever groups of muscles are necessary to, to absorb that force. Then if the force is lower than your strength, you can absorb it. So it's this reflex going up and down that's critical to have these muscles turning on. And it's really about the timing because when we see that parts of the brain start to decrease in activity, which every single person has one part of their brain that's not firing as good as another part of their brain. Um, and whether you call that you know, normal or a grade two neurodegeneration, um, you know, it doesn't matter because if it's processing slower, it's gonna take more time. And that takes more time to create output. And when you have force entering into your body, you have to turn on your muscle at that time. You can't wait around. So if there's a delay in this output and that muscle can't turn on, it can't absorb that force either. And so now we see it where there's no strength. So it's kind of an on off and that force can bypass that. And it might just be a little force from a step, you know, a little jab, a little jab, a little jab. But when you go for a three mile run and you take 10,000 steps, this, those jabs add up. And that's what we're talking about is these underlying abnormalities in absorbing force and that tissue is just chronically irritated. Now you can rest, take the force away, you get better, you go back out, injury comes right back. I've seen that hundreds of times. Even I've seen athletes tear their ACL. They go to the rehab place, they have surgery, they do all the rehab, they get back out on the soccer field and they tear their ACL again because nobody got rid of this underlying mechanism, you know, this loss of force absorption that caused their injury in the first place. So that's the big stress of the neurotarget system, looking for this underlying mechanism. And every physical therapy place, hospital, they skip that. They go straight to the injured tissue and how do we fix that injured tissue without getting rid of the cause? So um, I also can come at it from another respect, thinking about threat. And I, you guys were talking about threat a lot in the last two podcasts. And, and really, anytime your body doesn't know where it is in space, and there's parts of our brain, there's like the superior colliculus, for example, 
that maps out our surroundings, it maps out ourself. And anytime there's a discrepancy and you don't know where something is, there's a threat there. And your body will perceive pain. Pain is a brain-based thing. It has nothing to do with the actual joint. It's a, it's a signal to you to stop moving in a certain direction because you don't know where that is and you might hurt yourself. So that's, that's kind of another idea behind why these discrepancies come about and by rehabbing that area and, and getting your brain to know where that body part is, pain's gone, right? So dig into that a little bit if you don't mind. I, I, I want to hear your thoughts on, because we do you, you, we use the, the term perception of threat because I think it's easy to identify with a little bit more. But when you say you don't, your brain doesn't realize where you are in space, what systems are involved with that? And I guess what do you what do you mean by that? Is it like a visual issue? Is it a vestibular, proprioceptive? Like dig into that a little bit if you don't mind. Yeah, it, it can actually it can be all of the above. So um, I met this guy named Jared, uh, and he he wanted to rent an ARP from me, and he was kind of just wondering about some of the rehab that he could do. So uh, we got talking, and I don't know how, why I settled on this, but basically what I had him do is take a laser and attach it to different parts of the people's body. And I, I said, I want you to take the laser and I put it so it's shining on a target on the wall. And then you're going to have him move the laser up and move the laser back down to the target. And you're going to do it by isolating the joint that you're testing. Right? So first we'll do the wrist, up, down, down, up, right, left, left, right. And look how accurately they can get that laser right on the center of the target. And then we can do it on the forearm, so we'll use only the elbow movement, right? And then we can do it you know, on the upper arm and use only the shoulder movement. And what we would see that in a certain plane, on a certain joint, they couldn't get the laser in the target anymore. And it's because they didn't exactly know where that joint was in space. So in that, we could see it manifest on the wall because you can see the laser on the target. So I said, now all you gotta do is train that movement over and over and over until they get accurate and that should take care of the problem. So, so he actually, that's all he did in this clinic was he called it laser therapy. And he, if you had a knee pain, he'd test your ankle, your knee and your hip. If you had hip pain, he tested the knee, the hip and the back. If it was elbow, it was wrist and shoulder. If it was shoulder, it was elbow and neck. Like he tested above and below. He, he always found some <clears throat> direction that was, that was not, not very good, and he would rehab that, and it pretty much took care of their pain immediately just by remapping. And so, how do we remap? Well, you got to use a system that works to remap the system that's not working. So, in this case, we were using the vision to see the laser on the wall while moving the joint repeatedly. And so, we can do that. Sometimes we'll use the vestibular system, you know, to or the visual system to remap the vestibular system by doing certain movements in certain planes. You know, so it's about taking an intact system and putting them together <clears throat> to get the, the one that's not working to start coming back online and integrating all together. And so for me, chiropractic is the sweet spot because how many times do you got to move your elbow to get enough feedback to actually change your brain? I mean, your brain is already wired to normal elbow movement, right? So maybe you got to do... 2,000 reps, right? An adjustment is so powerful, you can do an adjustment, and now instead of 2,000 reps, you only got to do 10. 
And that's, for me, that's the key because there's so many techniques out there, you know, whether it's RPR or whether it's, I can't even think of them all. You guys were naming them all the other days. They all affect the nervous system, but it's like, to what degree and how long does it last, right? And that's the key. And RPR, right. you got to do it every day. Every time you train, you got to start out. You got to rub those points. Got to rub, right? rub, yeah, scratch yourself. All. Scratch yourself. Yeah, you're getting like raw skin. Well, if we can do something like that and add an adjustment onto it, the amplification of that signal, you only got to do it once and it stays, right? And that's... For me, I, you know, when you start thinking about what's the difference between NeuroTarget and the ARP or the newbie, like, and in even Jay's Schroeder's training, it's all the same, really, because we're creating hey, a I signal. I want you to say that brain. again, Docs. I think you, you cut out a little bit. You lost your signal, so can you repeat that? What yeah, the so the difference between NeuroTarget and newbie or the ARP or Jay Schroeder's EvoSport system, they're all the same because they're they're all creating signals into the brain, but it's got to be amplified to the point where it makes a change in the brain that's significant, right? And if, if I just say, hey, don't forget to get my mail, it's in box 32. By the time you get there, you might forget that. But if I like yell at you because you're an idiot and you always forget my mail and 32 and it's easy to remember, then you don't forget it because it was a bigger stimulus. See what I'm saying? So when we start looking at the ARP or the or the newbie, it, think about it. It's really, what is it doing? It's amplifying the movement that they're doing during the therapy. So instead of doing 2,000 forward bends, you only got to do five minutes worth and you're done. Like it's, it's weeks worth of training right there because it's amplified. And same thing with Jay's training. Why does he need you to have all the pipes and all the emotion and, and everything because he needs something to amplify that signal to make these changes neurologically speaking. So uh, that's why for me, chiropractic is the best. And I don't know if you ever heard about the super training that Jay and I did. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty well aware of it, Chris. Yeah. No, <laughs> maybe. I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, maybe I don't any... talk about it too often because it's most people don't believe it, but yeah, no, I know they don't, but yeah, yeah. Me, yeah share please. that a little bit. So, maybe. So looking at looking at the neurology, okay, I back in early 2000s, I was getting into neurology and looking at how we can manipulate the brain to do certain things. And what I discovered was or what I learned was you could take someone who's injured and make them better. But what I discovered then was that you could take someone who's better and make them super. And so this is where I started getting into the the performance optimization and taking people and we could actually like specifically focus on activating parts of the brain to change blood flow patterns so we could reduce fatigue and increase recovery. And we can actively activate the frontal lobe, for example, so we can get more motor output and we can get better speed and strength. And so I started doing these studies, uh, and not really studies, but experiments with this track team. And I was able to get um, uh, a quarter second per 100 meters off of their running times. So if you're a sprinter, 100 meter dash, we could take a quarter second off. If you were a quarter miler, we took a second off. If you ran the mile, we took four seconds off. Like it was really, really consistent every time. Mm -hmm. So I really started looking at this performance optimization and and doing that. And then, and then you know, I went over to Italy. We did all that stuff with the soccer teams. All that was was preparing the athletes to play at their best. 
and, and then recovering them on the opposite side. So it was this preventative mechanism we were looking at. Well, then Jay and I decided we were going to do this super training. So I would come in, I would ramp them up, and basically he would train them at this new level. And then we'd ramp them back down again. And we found that one training session was equivalent to over a month's worth of training Whoa. on their own. It was so, yeah. so powerful. And I remember, I remember watching them do repeat max bench press at over 150 pounds greater than their normal max bench press. That's how ramped up they were. I remember one of them was a golfer and he had to hit this bag and then continue to create pressure into the bag. And he, we always have him do the exercise first to get the baseline and then we do it again. After we did that, ramped him up, he was hitting the bag so hard, he broke the bag and then he broke his golf club. Yeah. Oh, wow. We had another one where, the, where um, it was Carlos Dansby. He was hitting, uh, just uh, he was just doing like this, just moving his arm straight forward, hitting a pad, and then coming back into position as fast as he could. And he was hitting it pretty hard. After we ramped him up, he was hitting that bag so hard, the guy holding it was literally flying backwards. And it took four people to hold that bag because he was hitting it. There was such an increase in, in force production from that. So mm -hmm. I really, I've, I, nobody at that time was doing neuromuscular performance optimization. Everyone was looking at bigger, faster, stronger. How do we make the muscle stronger? But when you look at the strength of a muscle, about 30% of the force produced is, comes from the size of the muscle. 70% comes from what the brain tells that muscle what to do. And by manipulating that, working in that 70% window, we can have huge influences into performance. And that's kind of started this whole paradigm of this training the nervous system, doing things to manipulate the nervous system and getting away from strength training, you know, lifting heavier weights. And, you know, back in 2006 or five, Chris, when you came up there, those concepts were completely foreign. And I, I would talk to people, they just stare at me like, I don't even know what you're talking about. That you can't change the brain. You can't, you know, this is, no, this, this isn't work. This isn't right, you know? And you were probably like oh, that too even when you right. came. But now it seems like now it's becoming a lot more mainstream. Everybody, every rehab, it's all neuro-centered, neuro-focused. Everybody's talking about functional neurology. So it's a lot easier to get these concepts across, it seems like people kind of well, Doctor J. Now. I mean, just to just to focus on that point. I mean, I was like I was telling John in the last podcast, you can't unsee something. Okay, I may not understand it any more than I mean, just like you said. I mean, I didn't I didn't get that, but I knew what I saw. You know, uh, in fact, you might have heard the story. I mean, I, I, the first person I witnessed. Uh, you treat was a, a, a girl in Phoenix, Arizona, had a, had a sprained ankle. It was like nothing. I'd, I'd treated many a sprained ankle, in, you know, in my career at that point. Never seen anything like that and never saw a result like that. So, I, again, I mean, yeah. I can't go and unsee that. That's. And that's a great one because she sprained her ankle. So she distorted some tissue. Now the feedback is abnormal and and basically she doesn't know where her foot is anymore in space she lost it and until we can get her brain to recognize where her foot is she's gonna have pain 
She's going to have that threat, that signal, like don't step on it. And that's all I did was manipulated some receptors, changed the feedback, and she stepped on it. Right. And it's, it's like I said, like nothing I'd ever seen before. And, and you know, it, it's... Like I said, it, it kind of has to, now, now you have to go change or you have to um, forget what you saw. I could not forget what I saw, you know, right. so, uh, so, so yeah. often I know John keeps going back to, and, and tells people of, of my former credentials. Well, they don't matter to me because I, I learned nothing, you know, I, I was like, I didn't really learn anything that I could use to really, really help anybody until I, I had to, I had to get away from that, that, that training before I could truly learn yeah. how to help somebody in my opinion. So, uh, anyway, that's probably sharing more than I should, but that's, uh, you know, my experience, <laughs> but, uh, anyway, I'm sorry, continue. Yeah. Well, I was, I was kind of wrapping it up. So. I don't know if you guys had another question or follow-up. Well, my my specialty is kind of more digestion nutrition. So um, I kind of catch the tail ends of conversations that you and John have about the nutritional component to various parts of the body and this and that. Um, obviously, we know the gut has a huge connection to the brain and how it functions and, you know, some people yeah, there's argue. Uh... There's 40, about 40 pulses per second going from the brain down the vagus nerve to the gut. There's okay. about 40,000 inputs going from the gut up to the brain. And that vagus stimulation gut up is huge. And I, it's kind of a gross story, but I've worked <laughs> on some tough, tough, tough concussions where I just can't get their brainstem firing. You know, we do all kinds of vagal stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm doing corneal blink. We're gargling. I got the stimulation on the ear and, and, you know, lasers and, and it kind of gets some activity, but then we, we make them do this protocol. It's a, it's a coffee enema Mm -hmm. and they had to hold that in as long as they can. And I mean, the people, they're like, I was on the floor, like shaking and sweating, having like a near death experience. Mm -hmm. But the, the amount of activity that happens in the gut from that coffee firing mm-hmm. up to the brain, we, I mean, we can get those brain stems firing. We get them to activate finally. So the gut's wow. huge. That's the big crazy. thing for me with the vagus and with the gut, too, is fuel, fuel delivery. It's critical, absolutely mm-hmm. critical. And without it, I can't do what I do. So fuel boils down to oxygen and glucose. And so... Part of my, my screening and our system here is looking at is fuel delivery. Can you breathe? Do you breathe through your nose? Are you a mouth breather? You know, where's your CO2 set point? Um, are your ribs fixated, right? Do you have an underlying anemia that you don't even know about, right? Do you have cold hands and cold feet? So maybe you can't even deliver that blood flow to your brain. So a lot of these things can be taken care of, you know, with, with uh, nutraceutical treatment. Um, and then blood sugar, I mean, don't even get me started on that. Everybody's on the roller coaster, you know, it's their diets are terrible. So getting a good quality protein to balance that out and having timing with eating, you know, I I don't, I don't think you can just eat ice cream. I don't think it's going to be enough to get that. I mean, it's going to give you sugar, but you got to have it 
sustainable. You know, it can't be too quick and it can't go away too quick. So, you know, I think there is something to eating, eating the right types of foods and and non-inflammatory type foods. You know, looking at the dairy and the gluten are pretty inflammatory. Um, Trying to trying to stay with, you know, of course, everybody's unique. So it's looking at the individual what what their bodies need and what they what they can't or can tolerate so well to kind of build on the digestive side of it you know and mandy's question i tell people that all the time is the gut is unbelievably important that's a battle that i can't win i mean i can create as much feedback as possible that i can but i'm not going to win that battle if the gut is not doing its job so short of kind of the uh, the coffee enema um <laughs> what you know, what other things would you, I guess, recommend in preparation for an athlete? I mean, we, we've, our market is everybody. There's a lot of different people that listen to this, but with the quality of food just rapidly deteriorating in our society and its impact on neuromuscular function, how do you go about that in trying to tell an athlete, look, your quad, for example, just won't fire because there's, you know, poor feedback creating by, created by the gut. How do you like to get started with that with your athletes? Well, we we typically don't do any guesswork. So we get labs and we do a comprehensive lab panel. We also get quite a few questionnaires and we really start diving in again, looking for the, the what's the common denominator here, right? Do you have a gene deformity, you know, uh, and maybe that's the problem. Or do you have, you know, is it just straight leaky gut or maybe you got a bad bacteria in there, or maybe you've got, you know, whatever thyroid problem, or maybe it's autoimmunity or, but we got to, we got to get down to that root cause because most of the time, everything is an offshoot or a spiraling from this initial problem. Maybe it could just be stress because you're not sleeping good enough, right? Or a divorce in your family or something. So, but figuring that out is critical. And once you do that, you can individualize their care and you don't have to do that much because once you get that baseline resolved, everything starts falling back in place again. Yeah. So you, anybody listening, you've heard me say it and I'll say it again. Don't come complaining to me that your elbow hurts or you can't get over 85 miles an hour on the mound when you eat pop tarts for <laughs> breakfast. It just yeah. doesn't work. It's not going to work. It's, it's, it's not, not going to work. work. All right. I got a question right. on the, um, you're, we're talking about the super training earlier. This is kind of a, kind of backing up okay. just a little bit. So, you know, referring to that, you know, ramping them up neurologically to, you know, to, and they have this just fantastic performance. Bring them back down, I guess, so they could sleep that night or, you know, what, you know, to recover. And, and yes. go to the bathroom. Yes. So, <laughs> so how, I guess, how then can you predict going through a training session or training sessions like that how many sessions of that consistently before now that becomes their norm so like okay i know i can predict this person's next competition they're going to perform x or they're going to perform you know i know what they're going to do i mean how, how would you how would you become more predictable i mean like good predictable i know they're going to perform better how would you go about doing that I'm not exactly sure exa- what you're asking here. Maybe you could just clarify yeah, so, this a tiny bit more. So you have a great training session. You ramp them up. They have this amazing training session. You know, they're, you know, whatever, bench pressing 100 pounds more or whatever than they normally do. All right. 
Okay. But that's not their competition day. All right. That's that's a training session. Right. All right. If if do I have to keep ramping them up for every training session that they do? Uh, and then it sticks. Okay. And so now I, they're going to compete at that hundred pounds extra. Or I mean, you see what I'm saying? It's a like when can I now predict yeah. their 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 competition outcome from their training outcome? Yeah. So. So I do have quite a few people that come in here to get ramped up before a tournament or before tryouts. If they come in any time within about 48 hours, it seems to be pretty effective. Starts to kind of die off after that a little bit. Um, and it, on those ones, I don't ramp them up so high that we got to ramp them back down again. They'll, they'll naturally come down on their own. So it's kind of that window. But what we see is every time we do it, they they ramp up but when they come down they don't go all the way back down to the way they were you know maybe they get i don't i don't know any numbers but maybe they're 10% better than than where they were before they got ramped up and as long as they train at that level they can maintain it until we do it again and and so it's a cumulative effect every time we do it they get better they get they get they get more lasting benefit from okay. it okay so it, it does take several sessions, I guess you would say, of this before we can now predict a competition outcome, a, a, a massively improved competition outcome. Without ramping yes, them up, yes, are you correct. saying? Or? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It would, take, it would take, you know, like with the Italians, I mean, I was doing it to them every week. And, and even at the end, People could tell which ones I ramped up and which ones I didn't. Now, why didn't I do the whole team? Because when you put a stimulus into someone, you're going to get a debt on the other side. And so we were playing in the Italian League and in the Champions League and in the Coppa Italia. So we were playing in three leagues. So a lot of the weeks we had two, three games. And when you ramp someone up and they play, they're going to have a bigger debt on the other end. So a longer recovery time. I mean, it's just, it's just a teeter-totter. So if I ramp up the whole team, we got no players left for the next game. So if I ramp up five, six guys, those guys rotate out. We rotate in a new five, six, and now we've got all fresh players again for the next game. Makes sense. That now, makes sense. I want to I clarify that for a second, Doc. As far as the ramping up goes, I want to make sure I'm on the same page with you because as far as the super training side of it, I, I've – I've been there, you and I, you know, we've talked about things like that before. I've done that. I don't really do much of that super training type stuff anymore. But when we talk about ramping up, though, I would say there's a difference between ramping up to the extent of the super training component, which it is absolutely imperative that we bring them back down and help restore that, versus ramping up in the sense of just putting the body in balance, clearing out, any neural type of interference that's where my mind's going yeah. when you guys are talking about the ramp i'm not talking about ramping like super training style ramping because right. they'll, they'll crash yeah like, you're exactly right john yeah, yeah I'm talking and about it's, just it's, a little bit putting them in i balance. think about it as if i can increase their efficiency so like you said chris the other day or no garrett was saying it it's about how fast they could relax determined how fast or powerful they could move when you start creating those types of efficiencies in their body neurologically, they're, they're just going to have faster performance. You know, and if, when I go through my evaluation, if I find any imbalance at all, all that is, is just a, is an inefficiency 
in their body. And if we can correct that, automatically they're going to run and move smoother and faster using less energy. So right there, you get performance improvement immediately. Yeah. So yeah, using it as a precursor to anything else that you're doing, if you can get all of the perceptions of threat, so to speak, out of the way, if you can get the nervous system firing optimally, put the body in a great place and then go train, then your outcome is going to be even greater. They're going to be able to accept more stimulus. And as long as you do it the right way, they're going to be able to recover quicker yeah. too. You know, and we've had quite a few high school guys that we've taken from mid eighties to above 95 and they're in high school, including one guy who threw 99 and a hundred. And one of the big elements was continuing to monitor that threshold and ramping up to a degree on a, on a regular basis. And, and like Chris, you know, like Dr. J was saying, you notice they would get to a point where it's almost like a wave. Like we'd increase that threshold and then, you know, drop a little bit, then comes back up and drops and comes back up and drops. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And then you know, another one was really interesting was we talked about, you know, things that could disrupt that. And one of the players had a little bit of a, of a blind spot in his eye. Like he was actually blind and I can't remember which eye it was and trying to combat that because that was again, a perception of threat. It would just shut things down. There's always kind of an interesting thing. I don't think I've ever talked to you about that one, uh, doc, but no, that was pretty cool. But yeah, the ramping up side of it is, is huge. It, yeah. And also like my screen, um, basically it finds these, in, these problems. But the thing is when people get hurt, it was that underlying mechanism that caused their injury. And that's what I find in my screen. So if I find that before you get hurt and fix it, you never get the injury. And it's hugely preventative. So it's almost like they're, they're the same. It's just this prevention, this performance, this recovery from injury. That's It's all just one thing. It's the same thing over and over and over. Right. Yeah, you know, you talked about one of the, one of the ways that we're able to create so much feedback is due to the adjustment side of stuff. Yeah. Now, to clarify for everybody, I'm not a chiropractor, so I don't, I don't adjust. I can't do that. What I do is a, a different type of technique that you know, I'm trained under with Dr. J to where we can get a similar impact without an adjustment. Okay. So with the adjustment, why is that so powerful and how is it, how is it different than traditional chiropractic adjustments? Yeah, that's a great question. I love this one. Um, uh, the, our brains are wired to gravity receptors in our body, namely the muscle spindles, which are found in our muscles. It's the only constant activation that we have on our body, meaning that sometimes it's dark, sometimes it's light, sometimes it's quiet, sometimes it's loud, sometimes it's hot, sometimes it's cold, sometimes it's tingling, sometimes it's a pinprick, sometimes it's pressure, sometimes it's rough. Those are all variable things, right? Sometimes it's sour, sometimes it's sweet. Gravity isn't always pulling on us. So our brain is wired to our gravity receptors. So if you want to affect the brain, you can put a smell in the nose or you can put a sound in the ear, but none of those things are going to compete with stretching a muscle spindle. Okay. Now our movement, I can close my eyes. I know right where my arm is in space because of my muscle spindle feedback. 
And my brain's wired to that set point of amount of feedback. Now, when I come in with an adjustment and I manipulate that joint and stretch that receptor faster and farther than it's ever moved in its whole life, it's like a bomb going off in the brain. So that's the key thing is that level of feedback is greater than anything you've ever done before. And whenever you get someone jumps out behind a corner and scares you, like you get a major change in your heart rate and your sweating and your, you know, the sympathetic activity. Like that was a big stimulus that really affected you. And that's how an adjustment works. Now, the key thing about the adjustments that I do is they're all based on which tissues do we have to stretch from which joint and does it have to be the front of the joint or the back of the joint or does it have to be more of compression and and then how that fires into the brain and the key is it has to fire into the brain in a way that complements their brain weakness right and one of the things about uh, chiropractic adjustments is they don't do that so I don't know how good you are at anatomy but if you look at a vertebra in the neck there's the vertebral body up front where the disc is the disc is above and below it and everyone that's what people think about when they think about you know if you get a neck problem it's got to be with the disc or whatever but actually there's a back part to the spine and there's joints back there called facet joints and these facet joints are angled at 45 degrees so what that means is when I turn my neck or turn my head the spine can't just rotate because the facet joint hits the joint above it. So the only way I can turn my head is to have my facet slide down. Does that make sense? So I'm getting this tilting and turning, and that's called coupling. Now everybody learns in chiropractic school about this coupling pattern, but then they don't do anything with it. And so if I, if I do a coupling pattern, it's like putting my chin on my shoulder. So I tilt and turn in the same direction. When you do manipulations to the body, you have to move the joint through its normal movement pattern because that feedback is so powerful, it's gonna go up to the brain and tell your brain, this is how you're supposed to move. Like this is the order that things need to fire in, right? And if you look at the neck, look at the muscles in the neck, there is hundreds of little tiny muscles going from transverse to spinous, transverse to transverse, skipping a transverse here, like they're all over the place. They all have to fire in a sequence and an order to get that vertebra to move through that coupling pattern the way that it's supposed to. So what happens when you do a coupling adjustment is basically you bring the, you bring it into lateral flexion or side bending, and then you're going to do an adjustment to induce the rotation that goes along with that coupling pattern. And that's going to reinforce this healthy motor program in your brain to control the muscles to do that for you. And when you do that adjustment, it doesn't hurt at all. It feels amazing. It's this huge release, right? Now, what chiropractors and what I was taught in chiropractic school is we're going to laterally flex or laterally bend your head over the contact. And then we're going to do this forward type thrust. So we're actually rotating the neck opposite of that coupling mechanism. And that sends abnormal signals into the brain at a very powerful level and it actually changes your motor programming in your brain so those muscles contract out of order 
Now when that guy tries to look out the window by turning his head, the muscles contract out of order and actually you get jamming of those facet joints instead of that sliding. And that makes your facets feel tight. So then what do you start doing? You start cracking your own neck, right? Mm -hmm. Those self crackers. And when you do that, they do it out of coupling too because this is coupling chin to the shoulder. They're tilting and turning their chin away from their shoulder to get that crack. And they're just reinforcing this abnormal pattern over and over and over. And to be honest, some of the worst necks I've seen have been lifetime chiropractic patients because they're getting these abnormal coupling mechanism type adjustments. So it's critical from a neurological standpoint that when you adjust, and even if it's an elbow or an ankle or a lumbar spine or a neck or jaw, you've got to follow the mechanism of movement that it's designed to move through because we want to reinforce these healthy movement patterns. Well, that's it. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I just saw someone earlier today, Dr. J, who actually was a patient of yours for one day, <laughs> a few couple of years ago. And uh, her first comment to me was, you know, I, I've never, she, and she had been adjusted, you know, numerous times before. And she was like, yeah, nobody's ever adjusted my neck like that. Speaking of, you know, comparing you to other, yeah, I, and she was like, that's the, by far, right. that was different, you know, and, and like something was better about that that she couldn't explain. Um, yeah, so, and you know, honestly, too, when you start looking at adjustments, activating the brain, you, you, you don't, most chiropractors do what we call the flying seven. It's the right low back, the left low back. It's thoracics, right neck, left neck, right? How does that change the brain? If, even, if, even if those adjustments were coupled, you're going to activate the left and the right side of the brain evenly. So what you get left with is the same mm -hmm. imbalance you started with. You have to do it unilaterally. So I might adjust your right hip, your right shoulder, and your right neck, and that's it. So now I'm doing three adjustments instead of seven, getting a much, much, much greater effect on the brain because we're activating that area that needs more activation. I was actually teaching a, a little class at the chiropractic school one time and I showed them this coupling mechanism and then I, you made me think of this, Chris, but I said at the end, now that you know this, you're obligated to use coupled adjustments because doing a regular adjustment, you could literally be hurting your patients like you mm -hmm. first do no harm, right? And they were just, <laughs> right. like, <laughs> they, their faces were like, they didn't know what to do because sure. they didn't know how to do that. Like it was too much pressure put on them. So, so I don't say that very anymore. quickly on, on just kind of the systematic approach, though, to what going back to this, this uh, person I witnessed you treat years ago, um, you then through your system figured out that, OK, she had a shoulder problem. So she comes in with an ankle sprain and yet you, you determine through the process, oh, you have a <laughs> right shoulder issue um is that is that something that almost anyone like, like you'd find these things in just about anyone you see or uh is almost every injury going to set up another one if you if you if you don't treat it properly you know that that may have been two separate injuries but it kind of goes back to the preventative thing that was there and maybe she wasn't experiencing a problem there because she hadn't put a load on that area yet but if she would have gone and tried to play tennis, she might have torn her rotator cuff or at least got some tendonitis in there. But because she probably wasn't doing that, 
It was she was basically resting that area. She didn't even right. know she had a problem there. But my screen finds it and pulls it out, whether you know it or not. And then we fix it. So now going forward, she doesn't have to worry about having a right. shoulder problem. And I don't think that shoulder is necessarily related to her ankle sprain. I mean, in a bigger scope, it really was because it's all coming out of the brain, you know, but really I think it was kind of two separate right. issues. But still, it was but still found same screen. It was, uh, um, she, you know, no, I, I remember her very clearly saying, oh yeah, I do have a little trouble with that shoulder. But I mean, it was not, it was kind of at that subclinical level, I guess you'd say, in, in the patient's mind. Yeah, you know, exactly. But it just so happened, that, you know, got treated at the same time. So that was cool, you know, to witness that also. Yeah, people say that all the time. They're, they, they're like, oh, is something wrong with your shoulder, you know, as I'm testing it? They're like, well, actually, right. yeah, I have this problem, but uh, why didn't you tell me? Well, because I'm here for my hip. It's like, well, <laughs> right. you check the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, so, it sounds kind of so, familiar. Yeah. So I want to say, I want to say one more thing, kind of about my system. So, absolutely, we, we talked about the neurological component of it, and that's that's my favorite part. Obviously, we talked about the biochemical component. You know, the fuel delivery, the inflammation. The, there's a third component, which we call the musculoskeletal component, and that that is the actual tissue damage. So, if you have tendonitis, now let's say let's let's not use that. Let's say you have a disc herniation. You come in here. I find all your muscle problems, I fix your brain, I fix all the muscles, you still got a disc herniation, right? So getting rid of the underlying mechanism that causes the injury doesn't necessarily mean we fix the injury. So that's really for me, that's kind of where these other modalities like the ARP or the newbie come in. That's gonna work really, really well at healing up and speeding up the injury recovery as long as we get this underlying mechanism resolved first. I know a lot of people that have used the ARP and didn't get good results because they were still out of balance. You know, they weren't, they hadn't got their underlying mechanism fixed yet. So it's a, it's a system that works together and you got to have, have things in the right order. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. Um, Doc, we'll, we're going to, we're running out of time, so we're going to go ahead and kind of wrap this up, but we're gonna we're you're yeah. coming on again okay. yeah like, right. <laughs> we're gotta, doing this again all right we got a lot more to talk about oh my gosh yeah but for the time being where can people find you social media website yeah. my website is uh ntchiro.com that's neurotarget chiro so ntchiro.com and okay. you can search for that on facebook as well uh, if you want to email it's info at ntchiro.com cool Cool. Chris, where can Best everybody find Agile you? Best 49 at, uh, on uh, Instagram. Yeah. So isn't there an underscore or something? <laughs> a whole there? bunch of them, Dr. Yeah. Day. Somewhere. Of, yeah, a There's a couple in uh, there. Yeah, couple. Just punch yeah, that in. You know, I'll, I'm, I'm hanging around there somewhere. Yeah. Yep. That'll pull up. Yeah. And Mandy, Mandy, where can people find you on social media? Uh, how can they find me on social media? Uh, Mandy Nelson. Or I post a lot to the ELP uh, Elite Level yeah. Performance page as well. So yeah. Instagram is where I am. Okay. Yeah. And so, guys, remember, you can send all your questions into to any of us. Uh, if you got questions on the show, uh, feel free to send it to info at EliteLevelPerformance.com. All our stuff is there. Remember, all our podcasts are now they're on YouTube, Apple, Spotify. So we're all over the place. And remember, there's no fee for the show. So what we ask is that you share the show, please. If you found value in this, if you, if you learned something, 
please share the show, whether that is putting that on social media, whether that's you know talking about it to a friend, whatever. Just please share the show and help get the message out. That's why we do this. So that is all we ask from you. Um, Dr. J, as always, it's a pleasure uh, to talk to you. We appreciate you having on. Thanks yeah. so much for taking yeah. the time to Thanks, do this Dr. today. Man. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. So we're definitely, uh, we'll definitely do it again. And Doc, I'm sure I'll talk to you here uh, very shortly. Hope, uh, hope you guys have a great day, guys. Thank you for listening. Share the show. Bye. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye bye.